Well, my guess is that most of us, there's something that you hate waiting for. And uh, I know you're sitting at home, but you can still raise your hand with these questions. How many of you hate waiting in traffic? That's what Kat said. How many of you hating it, or hate waiting in lines at stores? Yep. Uh, how many of you hate waiting for your spouse? Please don't raise your hand if you're sitting next to them. That's not a nice thing to do. Most of us, we have things that we hate waiting for. And most of us, we've had times where we felt like we were waiting on God. Maybe there was something in our lives where we kept saying, God, I wish you would do something about that. Maybe the that in that sentence is uh, something at your work. You have like a terrible boss and you say, God, please do something about that. But it's been five years and nothing seems to be getting better. Or, or maybe the that in that sentence is your neighbor who is just dragging the value of your house down by all of the trash that's in their yard and by their ultra loud parties at crazy hours of the night. Or maybe the that in that sentence is your wayward kid or spouse and you keep praying to God that they would come back to Jesus and they still haven't. Or maybe it's an illness or a financial trouble. Most of us have had a that in our lives where we keep saying, God, please do something about that. But it just seems like God is late and we're stuck waiting on him to act. Today we're wrapping up a series called When God Doesn't Make Sense. And we've talked about when God seems inattentive. We've talked about when God seems uncooperative. And today we are talking about when God seems late. And we'll be looking at a passage where the people involved, they had to wait for Jesus. And it seemed like Jesus was late. And the big idea that I'm hoping that we see today is this, that time spent waiting for Jesus isn't time wasted on Jesus. So if you have a Bible with you or a phone that you can open your Bible on, go ahead and turn to John chapter 11. We'll also have the scriptures up here on the screen as well. And I'll be reading primarily today from the NIV. So this is John chapter 11, and I'm going to start with verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, these words were written by the Apostle John, and he's recounting his memory of this event. And there are some really important details in these verses. Mainly, John wants to get us to recognize the special relationship between the people being mentioned and Jesus. You've got Lazarus. He's the one who's sick. And it turns out he's pretty tight with Jesus. I mean, when Lazarus' sisters send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, they just refer to him as the one you love. I mean, that seems to indicate to me that they're pretty close. And we're also introduced to Mary and Martha. And John takes special time to mention that this is the Mary who poured oil on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. If you went to Sunday school, you probably recognize that, that story. Pretty much, um, this family is really close to Jesus. They are great friends. And then we're introduced to the plot line. Lazarus is sick. 
Now, this isn't like he has a man cold. You know, he's not laying on the couch being like, Mary, Martha, I'm so miserable. Will you please get me some tea? He's the kind of sick where when you go to the doctor, they call an ambulance for you and take you to the ER. He is the kind of sick where you usually don't come back from. It's the kind of sick where people are saying, oh, I don't know how much time he's got left. So his sisters, they send word to their close friend, Jesus, to come and help. So basically, in these verses, John wants us to know that Jesus and this family, they're close. They have a special relationship, and one of them is sick and dying. And this is what John says in verse 5. He says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, like we said, John has already established that these folks, they're close. So why in verse 5 would John say that Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus? Well, he needs to make sure that we know that Jesus loves them because if we're just going to gauge their relationship based on what happens next in the story, it would be hard to believe that Jesus actually loves these people. Here's what I mean. This is verse 6. When he, he being Jesus, heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. We've got to get some background info here. Jesus and his disciples had just been hanging around Jerusalem, teaching, healing folks, challenging the religious establishment. But the religious establishment and the local government in that area, they weren't too thrilled about Jesus being there. So they worked up this big old ruckus and they tried to have Jesus killed by having him stoned to death by a crowd. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a city where you show up and the people there try to kill you. Uh, I haven't had that experience. But if I had, I would try to get the heck out of town. And that's actually exactly what Jesus and his disciples did. They got the heck out of there, and they headed out to a rural, middle-of-nowhere town that was like three, maybe four days' walk from the Jerusalem area. Now, Mary and Martha, they live in, I guess what we would consider the suburbs of Jerusalem, in a little town called Bethany. And so, when they send word to Jesus, it would have taken three, maybe even four days for that message to actually get there. And what does it say that Jesus did? When he got the message, it said he stayed where he was two more days. We miss a little bit of the, the nuance from the original Greek in our English translation because in the Greek, the way the particles are arranged, it conveys the idea that getting news of Lazarus' sickness actually motivated Jesus to linger for a few more days. In other words, Jesus was making Mary and Martha and Lazarus wait on purpose. Now, try to imagine yourself in Mary and Martha's position. Their brother's sick, really sick, like, looks like he's going to die sick. So they send word to Jesus, and people are probably coming by their house, and they're like, hey, Mary, Martha, do you need anything? I, I brought you this kosher casserole. I put you on my prayer list. And Mary and Martha, they're like, hey, you don't got to worry about us. We're close with Jesus. You know, he comes over for dinner sometimes and we sent word to him and he's going to come and he's going to heal Lazarus because we're close. We're tight. We got a good relationship. Well, 
A couple of days go by, and the sisters, they're probably like, hey, he's, uh, he's probably got our message by now. He'll be here any day. And another day goes by. They're glancing at their sundials, and they're thinking, where are you, Jesus? We called for you days ago at this point. Another day goes by. Lazarus, he's, he's getting sicker. And the sisters, they're getting antsy, and they're frustrated. And Mary's probably like, Jesus, I rubbed perfume on your feet. And I dried those nasty man feet with my hair. The least you could do is show up any time now. And time keeps going on. Lazarus is on the brink of dying. And they're thinking, man, Jesus should have been here. The messenger we sent, he's back already. They're looking out their window every 10 minutes, checking for Jesus' caravan. And they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting for the one they think cares about them. And then Lazarus dies. Based on our passage here, Jesus delayed on purpose. He made them wait on purpose. Why on earth would he do that? And that's the question we're asking today. Why does God make us wait sometimes? Now, I don't think we can ever know all the reasons that God makes us wait, but we do get a glimpse into some of the reasons why in today's passage. And the first glimpse can be seen in what's happening with Jesus' disciples. Check out what's happening starting in verse 6. So when he heard, he being Jesus again, that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, uh, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Like I said before, Jesus and his disciples had just been in the area around Jerusalem, but the people there tried to kill him, so they fled to the boondocks, like three, four days walk outside the city. But now, after Jesus had made Mary and Martha wait, he's ready to go to them. The problem is, they live in the area around Jerusalem, which is the same area where the religious leaders were just trying to kill Jesus. So his disciples are like, hold up, Jesus. We were just there like two weeks ago, and they literally, not figuratively, Jesus, but literally tried to have us stoned, and you want to go back there. Why? I love how Jesus responds. He gives a, a totally Jesus answer that doesn't really make any sense until you really think about it. He says this in verse 9, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. What the heck does that mean, Jesus? Well, just a few chapters before in the book of John, Jesus said this to the disciples, and this is chapter 8, verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of the light of life. The idea here is that Jesus himself is the light of the world, and walking with him is walking in the daylight. Meaning, if the disciples don't want to stumble, they need to walk with him because he's the light. Basically, Jesus is like, hey, I'm still here. You've still got the light with you. The right thing for you to do is follow me. And then he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. 
but I'm going there to wake him up. Now, hearing this, the disciples are again trying to figure out ways to not have to go back to Jerusalem. And so they say, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Man, they are just pulling out all the stops to convince Jesus to not go back to where the danger was. They say, if he sleeps, Jesus, he's definitely going to get better because sleeping equals better, doesn't it, Jesus? So why should we go there and interrupt that process of healing that he's already doing by sleeping? He's going to be fine. We should just stay here. There's a pattern here. The disciples are having some issues trusting Jesus. They're worried about their own safety. They're worried about their well-being. And they can't seem to trust that Jesus has their best interest at heart. They are having a hard time with their faith. This is verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. Did you see that? He says, for your sake, I am glad I was not there. If I was a disciple, I would be thinking, what? What do you mean, Jesus? For our sake, you're glad you weren't there? Why would you say that? Jesus was our friend. Sorry, Lazarus was our friend too. What do you mean for our sake, you're glad you weren't there. Well, Jesus, he gives us a purpose statement for why he's glad. He says, so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Jesus is glad that they weren't there because he is going to use this situation to help them believe. You see, Jesus is working something bigger than what the disciples think is going on. The disciples, they're worried about their own safety. They're maybe worried about Lazarus dying. But Jesus is worried about something else. He's worried about helping the disciples gain a deeper, more trusting, lasting belief that will sustain them for the days and years to come. And you know what? He was willing to let Mary and Martha wait so that he could develop that kind of belief in his disciples. Sometimes God makes us wait because the circumstances of our waiting are pivotal in developing the faith of other people. This is a hard point, and it's not really a point we like, but it is true. I mean, Mary and Martha, they had no idea the conversations that were happening with Jesus and his other disciples. And they had no idea the struggles with unbelief that were happening at that very moment behind the scenes. And they had no idea how their circumstances were going to be pivotal in developing the disciples. All they could see was that Lazarus was dead and Jesus had never shown up. Sometimes God makes us wait because the circumstances of our waiting are pivotal in developing the faith of other people. So Jesus and his disciples, they head out for this like three or four day journey back to the little town of Bethany near 
uh, near Jerusalem, and this is how John explains it. He says in verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now, a lot of times when you read scripture and you see a very specific detail, you need to stop and ask the question, why is that detail there? I mean, why didn't John just say, on his arrival, they found that Lazarus had been dead for a while? Why mention four days specifically? Well, it turns out there was a unique belief with many of the Jews around that time in history, which said that a person's soul would hover just above the body for three days after death, just in case God wanted to work a miracle and have the soul re-enter the body and bring a person back from death. But as soon as a person's appearance started to decay because of decomposition, which really started to kick in around four days in that climate, as soon as that happened, the soul would then go to Sheol, the place of the dead, and at that point, there was no hope left for the person coming back to life. And so in giving this detail, John is emphasizing this idea of the waiting and the hopelessness that Lazarus' sisters would have been feeling. They send word for Jesus to come, and they wait and they wait. Jesus doesn't come, and then Lazarus dies. But there's still a glimmer of hope because maybe, just maybe, his soul is hovering above his body. And so they wait one day and the sun comes up and the sun goes down and Jesus doesn't come. But you know what? There's still, been, there's still hope because it's only been one day. Then on the second day, sun comes up, sun comes down, Jesus still doesn't show up. But hey, Maybe they are still just a small amount of hope because after all, it's only been two days. And then the third day, the sun comes up and the sun comes down and Jesus doesn't show up. And while there wasn't much hope before, now there is none. Lazarus is gone. There's no chance of him coming back. It's been four days. I don't know how many fans of The Princess Bride we have out there, but, you know, there's this scene where they think Wesley's dead, and they go to the old witch doctor guy, and they bring him the body, and the witch doctor says, wow, there's still hope. He's only mostly dead, and mostly dead means slightly alive. Well, Lazarus wasn't mostly dead. He was all dead. It had been four days. And after all hope had passed... Jesus finally shows up, late. Check out verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You know, the Bible isn't like our modern narrative writings where people's emotions are described in total detail. John doesn't write, Martha, walked over to Jesus with fire in her eyes and angrily said, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You know, he, he doesn't give that kind of detail here. We wish he did, but we're honestly kind of left guessing to what the characters were feeling. And I'm guessing that Martha was probably a little angry, probably a little confused, probably a little frustrated, and definitely hurting. I mean, Jesus supposedly 
cared about her and her sister and Lazarus, but they sent word to him, and it took him forever to show up. She was probably thinking, Jesus, I thought you loved me. I thought we were friends. You've been out there forgiving and healing sinners and Roman soldiers and feeding people that you barely even know. Meanwhile, I'm your friend, and I put all of my trust in you, and I have been waiting, and you didn't show up in time. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then Martha says something that makes us think that maybe she's not as upset as we think she should be. Maybe actually she thinks that Jesus can still do something about this. She says in verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now, this seems like a great display of trust and belief, and it's easy for us to read this and think, that Martha, she gets it. She believes God the Father will give Jesus anything he asks for. I mean, Jesus even asks her if she thinks he's the resurrection and the life, and she says, yes. She even goes on to articulate that she thinks he's the Messiah, the Son of God, able to ask the Father for anything. Now, it seems like she gets it, but there is a problem with that idea. Because in just a few verses, Jesus is going to walk up to the tomb where Lazarus is buried, along with Mary, Martha, and a few other people, and he's going to ask them to open it up. And based on what Martha just said, we would expect her to be like, yes, Jesus, that's what I'm talking about. Raise him from the dead. I knew you could do it. This is why I said that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, able to ask the Father for anything. You can do it. If Mary believed what she said, if she really believed what she said, isn't this what we would expect from her? But instead, when Jesus walks up to the tomb and asks them to open it, she says, but Lord, by this time, there is a bad odor, for he's been in there four days. In other words, she's basically saying, no, Jesus, don't do it. It's been four days. He stinks. Don't open it up. That's just disgusting. I love the way the King James Version renders this conversation. In it, Martha says to Jesus, by this time, he stinketh. Here's what I think is happening. Martha was giving lip service to Jesus. She said she thought Jesus could ask God the Father for anything and he would do it. But when it came down to brass tacks, she didn't actually believe that. And Jesus knows it. He wants nothing more than for Mary and Martha's belief in him to increase and be genuine and deep. Sometimes God makes us wait because he is developing our faith.
I love the way Craig Rochelle says this. He says, sometimes God wants to do something in you before he does something for you. Jesus wanted Mary and Martha to have a deep-seated and lasting belief in who he was, and he was willing to make them wait to make his point. Now, when I was working through this passage and thinking about it and reading about it and listening to other people's sermons on it, I got to this point and I thought to myself, goodness, Jesus, I get that sometimes you're trying to develop my faith and sometimes you're trying to develop the faith of others, but this is kind of brutal. Don't you even care about how all this makes them feel? I mean, this whole situation just makes you seem heartless. Well, the next few verses, they shed a lot of light on that objection. Check it out. This is starting in verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know, our interaction so far has been with Martha, but the interaction with Mary is very different. You know how some people, they always seem to be like very measured, even keeled, even when things are, are really hard, they seem to have themselves pretty much together. That seems to be like Martha. She's hurt. She tells Jesus what she's thinking, kind of, but she's still pretty much in control of her emotions. Mary is not like that in this passage. She comes to Jesus, falls down at his feet, weeping, and says, Lord, if you had been here, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. She's, she's broken. This situation has hurt her deeply. She lays it right on Jesus' feet. If you'd only been here, and she weeps. Verse 33 says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. When God doesn't make sense and we feel like God is late and we don't understand why he doesn't do something about this or why he didn't stop that from happening, Jesus is not blind to our pain. And even though a lot of times he is working something bigger, our pain, it still moves him. Please hear me right now. If you are in a place where God seems late and you're saying, I get this, James. I know God might be working something bigger than what I can see. Maybe he's working on my faith. Maybe he's working on other people's faith. I get that. But it still hurts, and I cannot stand to see this thing happen, and I'm broken over it. Your pain matters to Jesus. He sees you. He knows you. And it hurts him to see you hurting. And when he saw the pain of the people he cared for in our passage, it says, Jesus wept. 
And that same Jesus who wept with them then is the same Jesus who weeps with you now. Check out verse 36. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Now, like I said, there's a theme in this passage, and it's that everyone seems to be struggling with their belief in Jesus. The disciples, they were struggling because they weren't willing to follow Jesus into danger. Martha, she was struggling because she was just giving like lip service to Jesus. Mary, she was struggling because she was hurt. And now, some of the people who were watching what was going on said, couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? They thought that either Jesus wasn't powerful enough to save Lazarus, or they thought that Jesus just didn't care enough about Lazarus to save him. Whatever their deal was, they also had a belief issue that Jesus was going to clear up. And this is how Jesus clears it up. This is verse 38. Once more, deeply moved, Jesus came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. He stinketh. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Try and put yourself there. Jesus walks up to the tomb. He prays just to remind people that this is about making them believe in him. And then he yells out, Lazarus, come out. And like I said, we always got to think about the details. Why did Jesus yell, Lazarus, come out? It's because dead people don't hear very well. Bad joke, I know. But sure enough, Lazarus comes out not as a dead man walking, but as a person who has life in Jesus. And check out what verse 45 says. Therefore, many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did, and they believed in him. Jesus was working something way bigger than anyone could have imagined here. Yes, he was late in showing up for Mary and Martha, but in that, he was working to help develop the faith of his disciples. He was helping to develop the faith of Mary and Martha, and he was helping people believe who did not believe before. Time spent waiting for Jesus is not time wasted on Jesus. But I want you to see one final point in this. Sometimes Jesus makes us wait because if he gave us exactly what we wanted, when we wanted it, he would never have the chance to exceed our expectations. If when Jesus had got word about Lazarus being sick, he went immediately and healed him like Mary and Martha wanted him to, no one 
would have been able to have had the chance to see the glory of God and how he was working something so much bigger. Sometimes, Jesus makes us wait because waiting is what allows us to see his glory more clearly. As I wrap up, uh, I want to be sensitive to this. This is a great story because we're looking at it from 30,000 feet and we see how all of the details are working together and we get to see what God is doing here. But the reality is we don't get to look at our lives from 30,000 feet. And instead of being able to see how everything is working together, all we see is that God is late and we're stuck saying, God, why don't you do something about that? And sometimes we don't ever get to see the bigger thing God is working. And it sucks and it's hard and it hurts. So this story is great in helping us see that sometimes there's more going on but what are we supposed to do when we are the ones waiting on God and we're going to bed every night saying, please God, would you do something about that? Well, I want us to remember one little phrase and this comes from Andy Stanley. It goes something like this. I don't understand why God isn't doing something about that. But I know he can. I know he cares. And I'm going to trust him in the meantime. I don't understand why God isn't doing something about that. But I know he can. I know he cares. And I am going to do everything I can to trust him in the meantime. We're going to close our sermon in prayer today. But remember, time waiting for Jesus isn't time wasted with Jesus. And sometimes in our waiting, he is developing the faith of others. Sometimes in our waiting, he's developing our faith. And if he gave us exactly what we wanted, when we wanted it, he would never have the chance to exceed our expectations. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage and the way it gives us a glimpse into why sometimes we wait. But Lord, this doesn't necessarily make waiting easier. And so we pray that during times where we feel like we're waiting for you to act, you can help us remember that you are capable of acting, that you do care while we wait. Help us trust you in the meantime. Lord, we think specifically of people right now who are affected by this COVID-19 crisis and are waiting for news on family members or their own health. God, we pray that you help them trust you and that you remind them that you do care. Lord, we're thankful for you. We ask all of this name, all of this in your name. Amen.